I just can't figure out if it's because you're advanced or because I'm stunted. You take the red pill. You stay in wonder. I am McLovin. You do not talk about Fight Club. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Glacé Film Club podcast. Yes, here we are once again. We've got a film there. We're going to dive into it, discuss it, pick it apart. But look at those big themes. What does it tell us? What's it trying to tell us? And what did we get from it? And when I say we, of course, it's not just me here ranting on about films on my own. It's my good friend, man of film, Curzon member and holidaying individual. It's Callum. How are you doing today? Good morning. Very well. Good morning. Good. It is. We say this a lot when we do the morning records. It does feel quite nice to get at it in the morning. I've got a nice um, uh, vase of flowers on this table as well. It's making me feel fresh. It's giving me a good outlook on life, and I've got my coffee. So this should be an on-point, in-detailed review today. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sat at a desk with a green sort of like a, I guess a, it's like a, it's a velvet, that's not the right word, but sort of like a, the desk is clad with green, like emerald green and brown wood. It's all very nice. Well, they're the colours of intellectual thought. I've um, I've yeah, longed absolutely. for one of those um, classic green desk lamps for a long time, and when I finally become a proper person, I think I might get one. When you become a proper person, <laughs> yeah. I've been threatening it for years. Maybe one day. Everything's just an idea up until this point, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. You're just the exactly. idea. You're just exactly. the idea of a person, aren't we all? Aren't across we all? the threshold of propriety, then maybe I can get a lamp. I love how in the first minute and two minutes, it's become deeply philosophical. I like it. Yes, and that's what we want. That's what you come to the Glass A Film Club podcast for. We're not just going to go, this actor spoke to this actor and they all went off at the end of it. We watched the film, yeah, but we want to tell you what it's telling us. It's more than just the film. It's the big thing. And we're here for a big thing, haven't we, Callum? Every single episode. But until we start thinking too big, you're off at the minute. You know, I am. Having a little stroll through the week. But most importantly, you've been to a few gigs since we last spoke. We like keeping up with the Callum Cultural Corner. And a lot of that has been music-based recently. But you had a little dive in. And when I say dive, more of a surf recently. I did, yeah. I went to um, I went to see the Menzingers at the Electric Ballroom in Camden. And um, I crowd-surfed. Um, and Epic. I really, really hurt my knee and my back. Um, <laughs> it, it's Is a- there any scope for that footage to be shown to the Glacé Film Club listeners. I mean, I could put it on the social media, I suppose. There's a, <laughs> I'll put you on the spot now. I, yeah, I could I could share it. I mean, it it's it's me crowd surfing. Well, I say crowd surfing. I'm, I'm not really surfing. I'm kind of like being dragged to the front. Um <laughs> you can you can see the the weight of me just slowly moving its way to the front of the crowd but the footage it, it's like it they throw me off onto the ground it's like oh thank god he's gone <laughs> sort of release it's like uh 
it's it's never as elegant in real life as it is in in the films. I mean, you could say that about a lot of things, I suppose. But crowd surfing is definitely one of them. It's good fun, though. You feel it's, it's a liberating feeling. Um, yeah, the band's great, though. I mean, you know, crowd surfing to lyrics like, uh, you know, um, I. I just want. I don't want to get famous. I just want to dance in someone's basement. And when you're crowd surfing to that, it's like quite. It's quite cool. Yeah, feels so punk, man. Well, what's the history of this band? How did you get into them? What's your relationship with them? Um, Here we go. A little, a few fun facts about Callum's musical odyssey with the Menzingers. Well, they, they came on. They came on shuffle on my Spotify, which isn't isn't very punk, I suppose. But like the, um, it was really my friend. Punk. It was my friend Cooper got me into them. Really. Um, I listened to their record after the party and really liked it and then just kind of went from there. And they, when I first moved to London, actually, they were playing, doing a gig at the Roundhouse. Um, and, I, and, the, and I thought, oh, that'll be fun. Like explore, you know, the London music scene having first moved there. And it was, they were absolutely amazing. And then they were played at the Slam Dunk Festival the following summer, saw them there. And then since then, um, I've just been following them quite religiously. But the thing, the reason why I like them so much is because I've made inroads to other sort of um, punk bands, like underground punk bands from that sort of region of the US. It's like I've got into sort of Midwest American punk rock now, um, following bands like Sincere Engineer, um, Spanish Love Songs. I mean, they're from LA, like, but um, yeah, that's the, they're all part of the same sort of group. I just said group think then, but <laughs> describing them as like sort of like a punk cult. Um, yeah, but I, did, yeah. I don't mean it as it's been done. It has been I done. I didn't mean it in that ex- to that extremity. Um, but there, there's just loads of iterations of the same style, and yeah, I'm really into it at the moment, and I quite like the fact that it's not um, everyone that's at the gig is there to sort of hear the music, and it's not. You know, you're not going to hear the Menzingers on the radio. You know what I mean? I sound like an idiot. I sound like a twat. But like, it's just I, I quite like the exclusivity is the wrong word because it's not exclusive. Everyone's welcome. But like, I quite like the underground aspect of it. Um, I don't know. Just feels it feels like a yeah. In a world of mass consumption, it's just quite refreshing to go to and see a band, see a collection of bands that are all singing from the same hymn sheet. I guess. I don't know. It's quite. Love it's quite it. nice. Love it. Sounds great, and from the footage and story, it sounded like you had an absolutely belting time. And I think it's been a while since we gigged together. I feel like we should um, uh, get something booked in for a little Glacé Film Club gig outing. We should. I mean, there's talk of um, talk of taking us to Europe, isn't there? Um, taking the podcast. There is talk. taking the podcast to Europe, continental Europe. Um, and I've got a bit of experience on the the European gig scene, so you do. Hey, very much so. We could marry these these two outlooks on life and make something special happen this year. Watch this space. But that's enough from Cultural Corner today. Let's get into the main event, the film review. And we're continuing our run at the start of the year. As I keep saying, there's been some really big films released. I've been very impressed with what's been coming out so far this year. And they keep teasing with more trailers for films that aren't just superhero films, which we bloody love to see. And this has been another big release, which we've been looking forward to seeing 
for quite a few months. Um, first saw the trailer last year, heard some good stuff, but mostly intriguing stuff. So I was very interested because the trailer didn't reveal all too much. So back to the cinema. Of course, we are keeping that run going. But Callum, before I start giving my thoughts, please can you give us one of your classic overviews as you introduce us to the film that we watched and are about to review? I will, yeah. We watched All of the Strangers. Um, highly anticipated uh, film. Got very good reviews. Um, it was written and directed by Andrew Haig, um, but it was based. It is based on a novel that was written in the eighties, um, and it's. I think the novel's called Strangers um, by Taichi Yamada, but then it's also based on another film, a Japanese film called The Discarnates. But um, this particular picture, All of Us Strangers, is written by and directed by Andrew Haig. It's got Andrew Scott, Paul Meskel, Jamie Bell, and Claire Foy. So a pretty exciting cast. Um, I I'm going to put it. I'm going to say immediately before I go into it. I think Paul Meskel is one of the most important actors of our generation, and that <laughs> and that's a statement. I know it is, and I don't particularly have um, sort Boom. of. Uh, you know, the media personality or, you know, the intellectual um, sort of canon of literature to support that. However, um, I think he's absolutely incredible. Um, I, and he's he's so versatile and very interesting. Anyway, um, just wanted to get that in there just because... And uh, yeah, I think... Hey, yeah. these quotes are great. That's going to be up on billboards. Don't you worry about it. I, th- I think, yeah, he's amazing. Um but it's it's about this guy called Adam who's played by Andrew Scott and he's living in um London living this relatively secluded life he's a screenwriter um and he's st- struggling to write this screenplay about his life as a child his parents died when he was very young in a car accident and um he's gay and he's trying to sort of he never had the opportunity to sort of come of age never really had the opportunity to sort of come out to his parents and he's sort of navigating the sinews of that memory and the sinews of that trauma, I suppose. Um, Harry, who's played by Paul Mescal, lives in the same tower block as Adam and, you know, he's... You're first introduced to Harry when he's quite drunk and um, already, immediately, um, you think there's something, you know, interesting about him um mm-hmm. you know he's he turns up to uh adam's uh, house his flat like unannounced quite drunk um and immediately there's a chemistry there and a connection sort of ethereal connection almost an ethereal kind of um dreamlike um interaction between the two of them it's very sort of moving even though you know one's drunk and the other isn't anyway they strike up this relationship um, with one another and um, Adam is routinely going back to his family home to confront his mother and his father about his sexuality but of course they're both dead and he's almost dreaming this he's dreaming what um, he would have said to his parents as an adult and of course he's going to this random person's house you know he doesn't know the people that live there and it's a really really sad story about someone trying to reconcile their past and their present with their future um and 
he starts to have visions and um I guess the implication is that, you know, he could be schizophrenic to an extent, but he's also having visions of relationships and visions of um what he would have been like with his parents if once he had come of age, basically. And it plays it plays quite an interesting way with time, really, because he's sort of talking to his parents ethereally and dreaming talking to his parents as an adult when his parents are almost timeless they stay the same age they're the, they're the age that he's the age when they died so they haven't grown old but he has so it's a really interesting film about memory and trauma and time and how all that coalesces um i mean harry's also got some mental health um issues you know he's sort of like it's never really revealed why he has trauma to an extent. Um, he's just sort of like, I suppose, coming. He's, I mean, he's clearly got alcoholism, but he's trying to block out some trauma that we're never really exposed to. And there's no, there's no let up, Marcus. It's, it's a really sad film. It's really intense. There's these long, yeah. traumatic scenes. Um, I think it's a stunning piece of filmmaking. And Paul Meskell and Alex Scott, Andrew Scott, are, um, are fantastic in it i think the chemistry on screen is brilliant i think they are i think it's quite an important film in some respects but it just it you leave the cinema feeling exhausted mm. i'll leave it there because <laughs> we're going to get into that exhaustion a lot in the next 25 minutes sure. um but yeah that's all of us strangers really yeah Thank you very much callum as always but yeah i'm just gonna i'm gonna pick up on the exhaustion because I feel that, and this is a compliment to the film, but it was so tense throughout and not tense in the way a thriller is or something that's trying to build in like an action film, but tense in the way that the whole film felt very claustrophobic, both literally in the spaces that the characters are living in, but also the the themes that they're exploring and how the lead character is going into his own mind so much. The scenes are very, uh, well, they're repeated a lot in many ways. Is like the location. There's not many locations at all. You're very much in the apartment block where only two people live. You're in his family home. Uh, and then occasionally you break into London uh, where they go clubbing. Um, and then one of the final scenes where he, he goes out for a meal with his family and they're the slight bits of release, but the tension's built up. And I think it's an impressive feat when a film can do that in a non-standard way. Tension, you think tension, you think suspense. This isn't suspense. It's tension in the way that you feel so emotionally invested in what's going on that there's no release from that. You feel part of the internal trauma and exploration that's being played out but then the scenes that you see on there like so heartbreaking continuously the heartbreaking frustration of the the romantic elements that playing out but the heartbreaking frustration of him going to see his parents once you get past that initial wonder of how is this happening what's going on here and you think okay this is a scenario playing out uh, in his mind or however you want to imagine that going but the the characters of his parents who are figments of his imagination are then self-aware within it 
and then start saying you can't keep doing this and and that and it's so heartbreaking but there's no release from it because the the character gets no release but the audience get very little release there are a few moments in it because a lot of the scenes are so are quite long and continuous and they don't necessarily have too many rise and falls within that scenario is that i could physically feel the cinema i was in the the shoulders just drop for a moment of people in there for those moments where the film gives you the slight bit of relief from the tension and that is an absolute plus if a film can do that to you whilst pushing something really meaningful and as a quick aside of my cinema experience watching this um I watched it at the viewing Printworks in Manchester, and it was pretty much a sold-out screening. Probably one of the biggest screenings I've been to of a film that wasn't at a film festival. There was probably about 100 people there. And I've come a bit full circle in my view of cinema seating, is that absolutely love every man, Curzon, and the setup they've got going on there. I think it feels fantastic. But I've realised I much prefer the big armchairs with legroom than the sofa experience, is that the sofa experience create something very nice and i do enjoy it but i think view have just kind of got it right doubling down on a dead comfy chair with plenty of space and i realized that sat in there i was like oh yeah this is this is a good viewing experience and um also the fact that there was a full crowd in there just oh it was brilliant so i thoroughly enjoyed um actually being in the cinema it was a, kind of a throwback to a, a different age of cinema which was great but yeah so to, to just summarize my initial thoughts on that it absolutely kept you gripped within what is quite a dark subject matter exploring grief exploring uh, the character's sexuality and how that tangled within the grief as well and then this playing out as this guy's trying to kind of unravel what he's been going through in his in his past and what's happening as he explores this through the script writing process. So, wow, what an achievement to get the audience to do that. There's a lot of themes to go into, and I'll pass that back to you, Callum. But I think, yeah, as I say, my two pillars of film watching, does it give you something to think about? Does it give you a gripping experience? The experience was very gripping. I definitely knew I was there watching the film. Yeah, no, indeed. I mean, for me, the main thing that sort of stood out for me was the sort of the way it plays with memory. Um, you know, like mm-hmm. th- the constant throughout the film is that they're both grappling with the past and how that is influencing their present. Um, I think it's a really interesting commentary on um, how memory can be quite jarring and how you don't really when you think about the past, you imagine what it would have been like from how you're feeling in the present almost. You project mm-hmm. you project your present anxieties and your present ideas onto the past and you you focus on specific elements of it. And this film does play with that, you know. Um when he's having these imaginary conversations or these sort of like um essential conversations that he wish he that he wishes he could have with his parents or wish he could have had with his parents he does say oh it wasn't all bad you weren't bad people um i just needed this in this particular moment and yeah. it's a very reflective film i think the writing is very patient in how it deals with that mm. um it's a really patient film in the sense that you know i say it's, it's patient in the way it sort of formulates the memory it's quite abrupt in how it you know makes you feel um because it is quite brutal <clears throat> in in lots of respects 
but the way it plays with memory is quite is quite fascinating i think and it speaks to um how we conceptualize it um i thought the relate i thought the actual setting as well was quite um interesting the way they framed it it's quite a remote film in that in some respects it's very empty and i don't mean empty in terms yes. of like yeah. emotion i mean empty in terms of in terms of immediate surroundings like mm-hmm. you know everything's focused on the tower block and the idea of that tower block and you know there's good pedigree for the symbolism of, of tower blocks in literature and film anyway. Um, I was saying off mic that it reminded me a bit of J.G. Ballard's High Rise in the, and how mem- memory is played out in, in, in that. And, you know, it reminded me of sort of Benjamin talking about, you know, sinews of memory and how trauma is likened to a tower block um, and how, you know, you have incredible highs and incredible lows and the fact that, there's something quite fitting of it being set in a tower block in this sort of cosmopolitan modern city, almost sort of framing the trauma and memory as a sort of modern phenomenon, which I thought was quite interesting in the way that was framed. Um, You know, and just with the tower block element there is that there's something I always find tower blocks just fascinating as architecture and this idea that you live in a, a very populous area centrally, but you live high above it, almost in a different plane. And that is, really honed in on in this because there's just two of them in this tower block but i think why that's quite pivotal in this film is that it's trying to give separation between uh, memory and, and real life and where he exists um, within the setting of this film is separate to the rest of the population and he only hits the ground and engages in the population once he um well, once the two of them kind of come a bit more connected, but his thoughts and memory are a bit more kind of ethereal and dreamlike. And so physically he's above everything in the sky as this kind of feels a bit floaty and, and a bit separate to everything. And that works from a symbolic uh, point of view. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why it's such an intelligent piece of filmmaking because every aspect of the film is carefully choreographed to make a point about the wider idea of memory. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's so meticulous in how it frames it, how it frames that, I think. Um, and you know, the symbolism of the tower block in particular, I mean, it's, it's towering over a cosmopolitan city, um, quite a chaotic city in some respects. I mean, when they, when they take Ketamine and they go out together to the club, yeah. um, yeah. there's, there's a sort of a, there's an energy and a sort of a chaos there that, is completely juxtaposed with the tranquility, well, apparent tranquility of his apartment room. His apartment room is very quiet and very silent, and the only thing that's sort of chaotic there is his memory. But in terms of sort of sonic, sonically, it's very calm and reflective space, whereas that is sort of like juxtaposed with the chaos of, of the club and the chaos of the city. Um, just further fuels this tension that exists with memory and trauma and how that plays out with you know your sexuality and your identity and um it takes all these concepts of identity and sexuality and memory and trauma and complicates them and says there isn't just one one feeling that unites all of these things they're all very complicated and i think it's a film about yes coming of age yes sort of you know gay sexuality but also i think it's more a comment on um modernity and memory and how that that's that's played out um between two 
um, bodies, both human and non-human. You know, like he's he's having conversations with the dead, but where they're made, they're made the they're made to be the living. The dead are the living in your memory. You know, you or you remember that. And yeah. how? Yeah, and uh, how? As much as you try to uh, build an identity based on the future and the present, but that your your memories are who you are. They are what push you forward, but what hold you back. And there's a line in it where two of the guys are talking, and he's recounting the tale of what's it? Tale? So it's quite whimsical. The story of how his his parents were killed, and mm. he goes, um, oh, I, was, "I was only twelve at the time." And then Harry says to him. Um, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. And then he replies like, "Oh no, it doesn't matter. It was years ago." And he says, "Oh, I, I don't think that really matters, does it?" And he kind of like, you know, softly agrees with him. Mm. But that's the point, isn't it? it? It it doesn't matter because it memory is what makes us. It it is us, isn't it? Like yeah. without memory, then what do you form a personality on? We are just a collection of our thoughts and memories. And then as as time progresses, you know, and I think each individual can probably relate to this, is that you have your aspirations in life and, and things you you want to do and achieve and you push towards those. And yes, you shape yourself to a great extent, but when you picture yourself in the future, you you picture a person separate to um what is in the now or in the past or free from the present or the past but yet that's always there good or bad and how you grapple with that on the daily shapes who you are and i've always found that fascinating the idea of um the past in that sense of that when or, or the the future has the same kind of look and it is that when you picture a scenario that doesn't exist now you forget to attach it to the present because in the sense the present is everything that's holding you back or your frustrations the uncomfort discomfort or um happiness of a moment but you don't attach that to something that's so separate and a mild link to remember something you said to me. I can't remember what it's a quote from, but when you think about history, where are the cigarette butts <laughs> on 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 the floor of the streets? Like you don't picture that. And the point I'm making here is that when you are thinking of a version of yourself in the past or in the future, you picture it as an isolated event or situation, not around the day to day frustrations of the present. And I think what this point is really. This, what this film is really doubling down on is that how much our memories exist within us and make us who we are. And it's not just those memories make us who we are, it's how we grapple with those memories. It's not literally what happened to us, but it's how we interpret those memories and deal with them. And this goes absolutely um, full throttle on that notion of memory and not just it forming his identity, but how um, the dealing of that then uh, deems how we're going to deal with the future. I think that's a pretty powerful um, way of looking at it, and I find that quite strong. So just coming back to the whole high-rise uh, situation of where they were, I think that you know we see him exit that setting of in the high-rise and he goes to explore this, but it all just comes back down to how he's dealing with his present 
in that and I find that really fascinating and any film that can find a a novel way of approaching that which I think this is a very clever premise it's not just flashbacks like as many memory scenes are looked at in film it's him literally living an experience that hasn't happened but he is within this scenario of the memory playing it out as if he would want to as his parents as if they were alive now but as they were then I think premise alone well done well done like that is some way of going at it i'd say well i think there's yeah i mean there's been a whole host of films and that have come out in the last few years that are addressing these issues of memory and trauma i mean i mean mm-hmm. after sun was one of them i suppose you know absolutely stunning um past lives which we reviewed on the, yes. which we reviewed on the podcast was another one um even one life as well which we reviewed i mean that's slightly diff- yeah. different sort of um, construct there, but it's the same sort of, you know, human feelings of memory and trauma and how that plays out in the present to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the holdovers even, similar thing. Um, the, you know, who are, who are we? Um, if, you know, we are, we are just bones and flesh. We are nothing without our memory. Um, and, you know, this movie does does sort of like suggest that i mean it's called all of us strangers for example we are strangers to one another um the thing that binds us together is shared trauma memory and um i was gonna say hope but there is absolutely no hope in this film it's just there's no hope no it is yeah. it I, well, you said to me earlier about the film uh being empty um in terms of visually but not necessarily in the story but i do think it feels empty in a lot of it and Mm. again not a criticism that's a compliment of it that's the point it does feel like mildly nihilistic yeah Um, there's there's no end it's not there's it doesn't end necessarily i mean interpret the end as you will it's a little bit space odyssey at the end but interpret as you will it's not necessarily a oh i've resolved these issues let's get on with life it's a Oh, that happened. Mm. Yeah, indeed. And that I've... Speaking to people about this film, that was one of the things that they didn't enjoy about it, the fact that there was no let-up. There was no redemption. Not, at no, no point. Yeah. At no point. Yeah, yeah. There was none of that. Um, but I guess, you know, when you're in the depths of that trauma that the characters mm. are experiencing, there is no let-up. So if, any, yeah. if, any, if, yeah. if anything, it's an accurate... Um, piece of art <laughs> yeah wow. yeah yeah let's you know i don't necessarily recreate the hopelessness too much but absolutely an interpretation absolutely <laughs> i need to get this off the chest off my chest before yeah. we round up and i was ranting to you earlier before we start recording about this but i'm still left a bit confused well not necessarily confused i have an interpretation in my head and I can't get it out. So obviously, it's clear that he goes to explore his past, his parents, what he would have said to them, what he wanted to say to them, share himself as an adult with them. That plays out physically in the film as in visiting his parents in his family home. Fine. But then he's got this relationship that forms of him 
in this tower block where there's just two of them living there. It's alluded to at the start of the film that they're both just there because it's just been built. Maybe they're there as guardians of the place until people move in. Maybe they've just bought a place, whatever. It's not fully said why, but they're there and there's no one else living in this place. This relationship forms, it plays out, but then um, Paul Mescal's character, Harry, is found dead in the bath, killed himself. Then once he's found him, he walks into the living room, but he's there and then has this suggested conversation with him as if like this is then the memory of him and he's talking about oh, yeah, I couldn't hold on any longer, or where were you, I was there for you, plays this out, and then it ends with them in bed, kind of like in a sad state, basically. That's a a simplified version of what plays out. But the point (laughs) I want to make is, and I couldn't let, I can't let this lie, is that I still feel that um, Harry, the character of Harry, again, was a figment of his imagination and was another exploration of his grief and that, yes, his parents died as a child and he was only just getting around to dealing with that grief. But then later in his life, he has then had a relationship with this guy, Harry, who has killed himself because he wasn't then there for him because he couldn't deal with the grief of his parents and then this is him playing through all of that as well so maybe he does live in an apartment on his own but harry doesn't that's what i'm saying and then i heard uh two girls outside the cinema talking about this immediately after the film and they were saying something like there's a line at the beginning where he first goes to the apartment it says something about letting the vampire in at the door and he finally lets him through is that is that symbolic of him letting him into his mind to then explore that grief as well? So I just can't let it lie that, in my mind, yes, he's quite clearly exploring the grief of his parents by playing out this fantasy scenario of going into this world where they're younger than him and at the age when they died. But I also feel that that could also be the same as what's playing out with Harry. And what just adds that to me is that it is all, it's got like a mild sci-fi feel to it with that tower block and the, like the dystopia of this feel. And even though it's not sci-fi, I mean, the whole dreamlike scenario of everything does give that feeling to it. But I just can't help escape that this tower block scenario is, maybe exists to an extent physically in the film. But I... I can't help but think that Harry's a figment of his imagination that he's exploring. And I can't join all the dots. And if I'm writing a fan theory of this on Reddit, it's going to be loose. It's going to be going all sorts of directions. But I need to get this out there off my chest because I can't I can't join all these dots. And I'm still a bit confused with what's actually being done there in the film. Right, okay, and I, I, I can sleep now. I can sleep now after getting that off my chest. I don't even need an answer. Um, I just needed to release that, Callum, so please just take the ball off me. Well, maybe, you know, maybe that is the nature of memory in the sense that it is, you know, labyrinthian. There we go. <laughs> yeah. What even does exist? Exactly. Does anything exist? Do you remember when, <laughs> do you remember when there was nothing? Remember that, and there was and there was absolutely <laughs> nothing. We're getting it's oh, too, it's wow. getting too. Uh, yeah, we don't want the podcast just to descend into loads of Stuart Lee quotes. Um, <laughs> no, no, yeah, we'll, we'll yeah, a side yeah. episode for that. But hey, if anyone's got any thoughts on 
what I laid out there, please, please send them in because um, I'm intrigued to discuss that further. But if I get into that rabbit hole now, we're going to double the length of this episode. And I think we've just about said enough, which ties us up nicely, Callum. It does. I'm going to throw it to you. Can you give mm. us a roundup, please, of your th- thoughts, thoughts, feelings, hopes and ambitions and a mark out of 10? I mean, I think it's a really important film, really important comment on memory and trauma and how that's, you know, explored through um, homosexuality um, and it's about sort of coming of age and, you know, trying to understand origins and identity and how memory itself is a traumatic concept. Um, you know, trying to understand who you, who you are is a, is a, is a, a quite a tough journey to sort of tread, I suppose. Mm. I mean, my hopes, I hope more films like this are made. My ambition is to meet Paul Mescal and have a really interesting conversation with him about ideas and memory and trauma. Um, I think he's a really interesting and important actor. Um, certainly makes me question what I've achieved with my life. You know, he's younger than oh, he's, he's on, younger, he's that, younger than I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but no, it's important film. I think for um, the times in which we live. 10 out of 10. I thought it was incredible. There we go. Lovely. Thank you very much, Callum. As I said, big hats off to the film for absolutely creating the world that it does. There's a suspense and tension in terms of how it puts forward very deep, meaningful themes and areas to dive into and explore but keeps you in this feeling of suspense and you feel so close to those characters that emotional connection and those ending scenes where he's having to kind of say goodbye to his parents are absolutely heartbreaking without them being trauma like actively traumatic in like nothing physically happening yet just how it's played out of him going back to this world because he needed to but having to say goodbye to it and still not really feeling a full sense of closure. Heartbreaking, really, but the film captures that so well in this claustrophobic space of it on. I think that's fantastic. Um, It does make you have to work for it, and I don't absolutely don't mind that in a film. I don't want it handed me on a plate, but it's not necessarily a pop the film on and get some big thoughts off the back of it. Yeah. Like you need to go in, you know, feeling tough to tackle it and really dissect afterwards, which, you know, I have mixed feelings on a film that does that because I want it to give me something tough to go at, but at the same time, it's like, right, okay, this is a film for people who really want to go in for a battle of emotion and not just, it's not a tearjerker in a, well, I'm not saying don't cry at it, um, but I what I mean that it's not like got obvious emotional flashpoints. It's just a continuous sense of like dread almost. It just kind of <laughs> fills you, and that's and that's a great achievement. But uh, but at the same time, hard to dip into. Um, which without giving me any set criticism of improvements or areas of the film I just think that you know it fits in a certain place on that so I thought it was fantastic it was tough but that doesn't mean it wasn't fantastic so I'm going to give it 8 out of 10 but brilliant film 
great performances, um, explores very important issues, but is all packaged up with that main thing it explores is um, memory, grief, and how that all comes together in a real tough knot that needs to be untangled. But well played, guys, and another fantastic film that's come out this year. Well, there we have it. There we do. That was our review of All of Us Strangers. Absolutely loving going to the cinema at the minute, Callum. Fantastic. And I've been enjoying going to different cinemas as well. That's been brilliant, touring all the different ones. Um, long may that continue. And there are still some cracking releases coming out over the coming months. I'm sure we'll dive into them as well. Of course, we've got a, a bountiful back catalogue across Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other more niche streaming platforms that you're on, so go and check that out. We've got a few conversation episodes lined up very soon, so they'll be making a comeback with a nice little series of them, but there are plenty more in the back catalogue as well. We are, of course, on Instagram, at The Glacé Film Club. Come and have a little chat with us. Let us know what you'd like us to watch, but also what you thought of our reviews and what you thought of the films we were chatting about. Of course, you know, we like chatting about all things film, so come and have a conversation with us as well but that's that plenty more reviews to come but until next time that was another episode of the glass a film club podcast we'll see you all later